Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show where we talk about short video games, games that respect your time. Or, actually, this week, we've got a bit of a different topic. But before we get into that, I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my awesome co-host, Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing great. I leave tomorrow on a plane, which is why we're doing this episode. It is indeed very thematic. And uh, Shane, my brother and bro host, how are you doing? Good. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. And this week, we're changing things up a little bit. Usually on this show, we pick a game and have a kind of a games book club style discussion of a game that respects your time. And if that's the kind of thing you're interested in hearing, go back and listen to our whole back catalog. We've got a 150 some odd episodes that you can go back and listen to. But this week, we've got a more sort of topic based discussion. Laura is about to leave on a very exciting trip to Europe. You're going to Ireland, right? Yes, for a friend's wedding. Yes. And so this week, we decided to take and with the with the summer in full swing, we decided to take a little bit of time to talk about games that you can play while traveling or more sort of generally gaming while traveling and how we have done that over the years and uh, any tips or stories or things about playing games while you're on vacation or while you're on trips. That's when it's most important that these sorts of things respect your time. It's true. I mean, when um, when you're on the road, uh, you have those long moments that just, you know, what are you going to fill it with? A magazine? Yeah, there's certain things that just, you know, work when you're on a trip that don't work in the rest of your life and vice versa. Just as an example, I love to watch very sad, weepy movies when I'm on an airplane. I don't so much love that when I'm out in the rest of my life. But like if I can sit down on an airplane and watch, uh, I don't know, uh, you know a, a, a very moving drama or even something like Toy Story 3, I will sit there and just ball like a baby on an airplane where I would never do that in a theater or sitting on my couch. So there's just a different sort of vibe when you're traveling. I actually hate it when there's babies bawling on airplanes. (laughs) Reagan just constantly rewinding the first 10 minutes of up over and over again and weeping loudly to all the passengers. I'm Mm. sure you're great, great company on a plane. Strangers sitting next to me love me for that. Absolutely. I mean, the weird thing I've started doing is uh, in airports, uh, often I am waiting for my husband who's getting off work to to meet me in the airport. And I tend to get there earlier, uh, especially when we're sharing a suitcase. And I have about 45 minutes. I tend to watch an episode of Amazing Race where they have tons of airport drama. They're always booking planes and trying to get better flights and risking (laughs) delays. And it's so boring normally. I hate those episodes when I'm watching the show. But when you're in an airport and you're just trying to like get drama out of anything, like nothing happens in an airport except on that show. The amazing editors sit there and cut it into – the height of you know you think anything could happen in this airport and nothing sounds like does. a good chance for role play as well like if you uh if you want to pretend to be a member of the amazing race as you're rushing to your gate i'd have to have a lot more bandanas and backpacks <laughs> <laughs> my uh i guess i have i have something like that it's not something that's particularly weird but it is something that i pretty much only do on airplanes and it's uh i don't know why i but i if i'm on the ground I would never – and someone asks, what do you want to drink? I would never say ginger ale. But when I'm in an airplane, I want my ginger ale. For me, it's like tomato juice. It's like your taste buds get different. Yeah, tomato juice and ginger. Like I, I always go for ginger ale myself too. And and Justin orders hot tea. They do that on planes? You can get a like a Lipton. Huh. Yeah. I recently um, had a wonderful flight uh, to and from Bulgaria on Lufthansa. Uh, and the one thing I found – that is better than the ginger ale is uh, unlimited free whiskey. That was that was better. <laughs> what? My I, God. I had unlimited champagne on the trip when I was on Lufthansa. They just kept bringing, like, what would you like to drink? White wine, red wine? I was like, do you have champagne? And they're like, we have cheap knockoff bubbles. I was like, yes. Keep bringing me cheap free bubbles yes. the whole trip. There was a certain was point trip. after a few of those whiskeys that, uh, you know, I think maybe it, maybe it, it worked out in Lufthansa's favor because um, the whole trip I was like, no, nah, I don't need to pay money for Wi-Fi. I've got my video games right here. I got my Nintendo. Uh, but there was a point where I had like maybe the third whiskey uh, and I was like, I got a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yep. Thanks, Mr. President. I'm sure they were brilliant. There's a lot of things I love doing while I'm traveling. Uh, you know, playing video games is a big one. Uh, before we dive into what we do today when we're traveling, you know, what kind of games we play on the road or on the plane or wherever, summer vacation or going on vacation was a much, much bigger deal for me as a kid than it is today. It was always this incredibly important event every year or hopefully every year if we got to go someplace. And uh, for me, the biggest memory of one of the biggest memories of my childhood was our, our trip to Walt Disney World when I was a little kid. And uh, for whatever reason, my parents decided to drive rather than fly. Yeah, it started with uh, a drive to first New Orleans from Houston, which is about five hours. Oh, yeah. And then it was a full day long, I want to say like 12 hour stretch from there to Orlando. Yeah. And I mean, that's like a long time to spend in a car with two uh, I don't know how old we were. We were really young, maybe like 10 or less, right? Like we we were really young and it's a long time to spend in a car with two twin boys probably bouncing off the walls. So my parents had the bright idea to strap a power inverter, a small CRT TV and our Sega Genesis into our Suburban and fold down the seats so that we were sitting in the way, way back and uh, had a lot as of space. As far from the driver as possible. For people who don't know a Suburban, it's a nine-seat car, basically. It's yeah. got three rows. Yeah, three yeah, rows. The it's... middle row <laughs> folds down and was where we put our Sega Genesis. And so for two solid days or maybe three solid days in the car on the way to Orlando, we did nothing but play uh, uh, Toe Jam and Earl Power Panic on Funkatron. Which I will stand up for that game anytime. I know it's bad. That game is fantastic. I will stand up for that game. Oh, yeah. I think your parents are geniuses because they probably had a very nice conversation in the front seat. And we're pretty sure you two weren't killing each other. On that same trip, uh, this was when our our parents gave us a fistful of quarters and sent us to play the uh, Simpsons arcade game. Oh, uh, yeah. For uh, as long as as those quarters held out. which, you know, I, I don't want to speculate on why our parents wanted us out of the hotel room for so long, but. Uh... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Yep. Uh, the whole time we kept making jokes about things you do on planes and things you only do on planes. I'm surprised that's the first sexual reference. We got, what, five, six minutes in? Yep. It's pretty good. Yep. Well, I, I love that time. Everybody. You know, actually, Shane, I uh, I recently re so that we were we had at the time this very small little uh, CRT television, and uh, that was the TV that we played games on for years because uh-huh. we uh, our parents didn't really like us having the game systems constantly hooked up to and playing on the larger family TVs until we finally got like a big TV that was just yours and mine, and I recently reacquired that same model of TV on Amazon. It is a love it. It is a 10 or It was nine, on Amazon? Eight, oh, no, no, not Amazon. Did I say Amazon? It's on eBay. Sorry. It was, um, I got it on eBay. It is a 1983 uh, Panasonic Color Pilot, uh, nine or 10 inch screen. This thing is so gorgeous. I, I will probably never actually use it, but it's just this perfect object of like early 80s art, industrial art to me. The, the knobs are the platonic ideal of knobs. I'll put a, a link oh, yeah. to this model in the show notes so that you can all see the most beautiful television ever made. Can, uh, can we get the clink, the clunky sound of those knobs? Oh, oh yeah. This, Hang uh, on. Podcast. Can we get that sound? I, I haven't heard that sound since I was a kid. This was in your, your Oof, it's my heavy, bedroom. Yeah. It's a heavy guy. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I remember this from, Oh yeah, here it is here. I want to hear this. Yep. That's uh-huh. that channel changer. And that little and push and pull thing that turns it on and off. That was like a spring to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the stuff. That's the Foley for for everybody else at home. I mean, for me, I don't have quite as an epic setup, but my parents did not believe in video games for their children growing up, except when they realized they had to move two girls and a 10-year-old from California all the way to Texas. And Lee got a Game Boy. For the car to entertain him. I think we had brain questions because we were too little. <laughs> um, they were we had educational material. But as a result, I had a hand-me-down Game Boy that I could um, play as much as I wanted on trips. And 
I was in a traveling uh, professional children's choir. We did tours quite a lot. And they would sometimes have quiet time on the bus where you couldn't talk. It was supposed to be so we could do our homework. But I could never do my homework on buses. Like, there's no computer. Laptops weren't a thing. And I was not going to write essays longhand. So I would usually break out the Game Boy and play. Um, And the worst thing about it was since it was so old, I would get a game with a rumble pack and it was occasionally restart the game. Oh, no. Because it would just like, it would rumble itself to the batteries would pop out and it would just lose the connection and restart. (laughs) Um, But it was the only time I got to play games other than after my parents went to sleep and I played emulators on the computer because they didn't know that you could do that. Um, (laughs) Those are the only times I got to play games. Um, And it's funny, like, again, kind of what happened. They don't understand my choices. They didn't understand that the first job I got professionally was working in games. Uh, But I can always chalk it up to just them trying to keep a, you know, 10 year old ADHD kid somewhat entertained on that again in another suburban driving all the way across the country oh yeah yeah I, I, video games in the car were like an extremely important thing as a kid and like you can't do not that a thing now anymore. not a thing anymore you have to you have to entertain the driver if you're not driving yeah yeah or even if you're gonna tr- for at least me if i'm gonna try to play a video game in a moving car i'll get sick in a minute um, I think it's there is sort of a if you're if you're on a road trip, it is your responsibility as a passenger to keep the driver from falling asleep and like steering off the road and killing you both. Yes. So um when it comes to travel games for the car, you know, my my road trips I take today are all with uh Julia, my wife, and she and I have this esoteric game i don't know where it exactly it came from it's a game with no name um and in the kind of just sort of games that you can play while while driving a car and and doing nothing style of games like that includes like i suppose punch buggy or like i spy or i spy alphabet game yeah yeah uh it's it's a game that is like those kinds of games but much much harder and you can only play it with someone you know very very well um i call it the guessing game um and the rules are basically this uh one person thinks of any uh thing at all it could be a person place thing idea word Phrase, abstract expressionalism. Anything, anything. Anything at all is fair game. Uh, and the other person has unlimited time to try and guess what it is. And so if you're the guesser, your job is very difficult. You have to guess literally. You could ha- have to guess literally anything. You have to go alphabetically through everything that has ever existed. Well, you start by guessing something random. And then the 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 uh, driver uh, or the other person will say um, it's closer to what you said than anything you've said so far. And really the person who's guessing, have you, are you Laura, have you, have you seen this game? You know, this game, I have, I have played this game. Um, I think the shortest this game has ever been was when someone did George R. R. Martin. <laughs> and like the second thing guessed was like Tyrion Lannister. And the person was like, it's, Closer to Tyrion Land, and it just became Game of Thrones for yes. like four minutes until someone said, "Is it George?" <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so okay. So I'm so glad to know this fast. isn't. I, I I can't even remember where I learned this game or what it's called, but uh, it does wind up with because the 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 only responses are either you're close, you know, this is closer than anything so far, or that thing you said 30 minutes ago is still the closest thing, and it's entirely subjective. Um. You know, you you can wind up in these moments where you're just sort of circling around a topic. It's very fun to be the person who is uh, naming the object, and it's very frustrating to be the person who is guessing. Uh, and so, it's important to uh, to hand off. It's a game that I have played it for fun, and also weirdly played at a conference with information architects whose entire job is categorization of language and it was very very weird because everyone kept being like oh how interesting your brain reaches for color before it does you know and we're like guys guys it's it's a game it's a game (laughs) (laughs) like it's a game we have 20 minutes on a bus no one answered any questions they were too busy trying to analyze it that's funny 
I bet it would be more fun to play with you, Shane. (laughs) What's wonderful about that game is there's no end to the amount of time it can take up. Uh, And also, if you know the person really well, and you will inevitably, eventually, on any trip, have one round of it where you feel completely psychic because you guess the thing that they're thinking of in, like, two tries. Um, And it's... uh, that's always that's always fun and and very and in, extremely frustrating. <laughs> there is one more rule. Uh, this is an optional rule um, that makes the game a little more friendly, and that is uh, that instead of just saying you know this was closer or that was closer, uh, every time they get something wrong, something that is less close than the closest thing, you can say um, you know the sta- it's uh, the Statue of Liberty is still the closest, but like. X, Y, Z thing you said, uh, it is blue or, or whatever. And so you mm-hmm. you, event, you end up uh, giving uh, hints uh, in that way and little descriptors. But it has to be some way in which two totally dissimilar things are alike. So uh, that part of it becomes fun as well. Anyway, this is not a video game. <laughs> yes. So this is a video game podcast. And while that is an excellent game, uh, we should talk about video games that we can play while traveling or how you approach playing video games while you're traveling, which is sort of a more general thing. Um, When I'm traveling, I never leave on a trip without, and this is mostly, I think, because I have just this sort of like terror terror of being bored. Uh, I, I never leave on a trip without bringing some kind of handheld video game system. Sometimes I don't even go shopping without putting one in my back pocket or in my car or something because you never know you might be stopped somewhere for an hour, and good God, you could get bored. And that's what my Kindle's for, Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's where you and I differ because I play. That's Suikoden how I too. read forty books last year. <laughs> ah, see, yes. And you've read. We're not going to go into. <laughs> I I get a lot of tweets that way. <laughs> I do a lot of reading of tweets. Um, so. I'm a big handheld video game guy. I mean, my very first console was a Game Gear. I've had handheld video game consoles, you know, constantly over the years, and I'm kind of obsessed with them. I have a massive collection of Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games, and I've got, uh, you know, I've got a Sega Nomad. I've got a PlayStation Vita. I've got a Switch, obviously. I've got them all, and uh, I love handheld video games, and they are kind of an important part of the travel experience for me is, like, settling in on an airplane and playing a little bit of a game. So um, what sorts of specifically video games do you guys gravitate towards while you're playing? Is there something, anything different or while you're traveling? Is there anything different you do while you're traveling that you wouldn't do while you're at home? Absolutely. I mean, for me, there are games that I save for longer play sessions and specifically for planes, kind of like there used to be, you know, there are TV shows I only watch at the gym. Uh, I've played every bit of, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic that I've played on the iPad on planes. Never play it elsewhere because I think it's just too easy to get distracted from a a role-playing game on the iPad at your house. For Mm. some reason, it's just really not something. But that it's that longer session where it's still pretty casual. It's not a very intense game um, in many ways. It's not something that requires my entire brain. It doesn't require uh, the most... It's not a shame that the soundtrack isn't at full beautiful volume you know there's things you have to compromise on a plane you can't really play i tried to play guacamole on a laptop because we had to record and i recorded it in phoenix on a trip you can play it it's just really hard um i think that for me it's something with not a lot of meaningful but not intense interaction i played a lot of rains for example the first Mm. time i played it was on a plane because it does suit a couple hours you know kind of learning rains her majesty specifically Mm-hmm. For me, there's kind of two things. There's that long interrupt, uninterrupted session for the plane itself. And then I really need um, breaks from people. Uh, I love people, but I'm an introvert in many ways. And work trips require you to be hanging out with lonely extroverts, especially when I was you know, doing consulting trips. Everyone wanted to hang out all the time. And it was either you could go back to your room and say you had to work, or you could say you had to work for an hour, go back to your room and play an hour of the Switch. And it was so much better for me. I also did this over, uh, there was a family reunion from my husband's family, who I love dearly, but there were literally 70 of them. Hmm. And I just 
said I had a headache and went back to the room and played Mario Odyssey. I sometimes need breaks from people and a game is a really good chunk where you feel completely removed. It's, it's, it is intentionally antisocial, but it's not as, uh, it's more restful than Twitter. It's much more restful than Twitter. I feel more like myself after I'm done. And books are sometimes too much. Like if I start reading something, I'm gone for two hours or it takes too much brain or I feel guilty because the book mentions something about a family relationship and I'm blowing off my family. Video games aren't reminding me of my family <laughs> for an hour. So for me, it's either this long interrupt, long, long sessions or it's kind of 30 minute escapes. And I find that those two things, other than, you know, just straight bored in the waiting room with Justin, I'll talk about that later. Those are my two big gaming moments. And we're, I'm sure we're going to talk about the Switch a ton, but there's a reason I've mentioned it twice in my anecdotes. It's It has been a lifesaver. Yeah, totally. I, I have a couple of types of games that I play while I'm traveling. And one is that, like, when I'm – traveling involves a lot of waiting. You know, you're waiting to board the airplane. You're waiting for the airplane to take off. You're waiting in line to get your uh, your rental car, whatever it might be. And those times I need something that is accessible on my phone because you're not I, – I mean maybe it's just me, but I just don't feel comfortable getting out a, a handheld video game console while I'm like waiting in line. It just sort of feels a little wrong. Um, so th the phone makes that feel a lot easier. And also those are the times when I most need to relax. And so for me, those are Alto's adventure, also Alto's Odyssey times. Um, you know, Alto is a game that you can play in these, you know, in these spaces where you don't have the time to fit in a game that's going to take up a lot of time. I mean, we've talked about Alto on this game on the show before, and I don't need to talk your ear off about it, but it's a phenomenal game. It's an iPhone endless runner slash, um, I don't know, um, snowboarder. Great game. And uh, it, it has this sort of Zen feel to it that can help put you in the right headspace for like, maybe I'm in an uncomfortable situation right now, surrounded by strangers and waiting in line. Um, but I, I have this, it's, it feels like nice. It's like a nice escape. It's a little bit chill. Meditative. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But then the other thing though, is that sometimes you have these times where you're like specifically on a plane and those times Alto does nothing for me really, because and, and other games that I also would enjoy, you'd think I would enjoy on a plane, something like um, like Puyo Tetris, for example. Um, I love that game, but each match is very short. And when I'm on an airplane, I need something that I can completely focus on and that I can block out the world around me. And I need it to, to last a little longer than my average run on uh, on Alto or something like that. Because I'll do a run of Alto and that's great. But then as soon as it's over, I look around and I'm like, oh God, I'm surrounded by people. Um, where is the drink cart? <laughs> right. Where is the drink cart? I need to escape this horrible place. And so for me, and this is probably not the same for everybody, but for me, the answer for the last several years has been old school JRPGs on the Vita, um, specifically Suikoden 1 and 2. Uh, so I have played the entirety of Suikoden 1 and almost the entirety of Suikoden 2 on airplanes. And they are, if you're not familiar with the Suikoden series, they're fantastic. I don't suggest only playing them on airplanes. Uh, if you like our old school RPGs, they're great. Um, but, and they are available uh, for download. You can play them on the PS3 or the Vita and they're on the PlayStation store. Um, but anyway, the, uh, the Suikoden series, great JRPG classic series, um, has this very large cast. It's not the kind of thing that you'd naturally think of as like a travel game, but they're divided pretty well into chapters. It's not like explicit, like here's a title card that says this is the beginning of chapter three, but the game is sort of well divided into sections that make sense as sort of units that are about the right length for an airplane ride, unless you're going somewhere really far, in which case maybe play two. And also, for whatever reason, it's a game that like I can be apart from it for a year and come back to it, and I'm instantly back where I left off, which is usually not the case for RPGs. It helps that I have a PDF of the Prima Games strategy guide saved to my phone, and I add a little <laughs> bookmark in it mm -hmm. to sort of remember where I was the last time I was on, on an airplane. And uh, that strategy has worked out really, really well for me. I can – I mean, I'm going on a trip again and I uh, pretty soon, and – Actually, I have a bit of a conflict because I'm not sure whether I want to bring my Switch, my 3DS, or my Vita. I think it would be a little overkill to bring multiples. But I I am so close to the end of Suikoden 2 after three years 
that I think I could finish it in one more plane ride. And the Suikoden series is a phenomenal series of RPGs. Uh, they are, I mean, you know, there's other podcasts that'll do a much better. Retronauts had a great episode fairly recently about Suikoden 1 and 2. Fantastic games. But, like, this is a sort of thing that, like, you don't naturally think of retro, old-school, lengthy RPGs as a travel game. But they kind of are my thing for when I'm on an airplane. And uh, it, it just sort of works out perfectly. So, you know, whatever works for you. But I suggest giving it a try. That is awesome. I think my my travel game is definitely not as deep. I, I don't know if this game has ever even come up on the podcast. I, I would probably have mentioned it. Uh, this is just one of those mobile games uh, on the iPhone that has stuck with me. And I, I, I've played a lot. But this is one I keep returning to. Um, it's called Hoplite. Have any of you guys played Hoplite? I've yeah. played very briefly, but it, okay. I completely know it. why it's your game. Yeah. So it's, it's to explain the game, it is, um, it is a game where you are a Spartan warrior who is going to go uh, down into the underworld and retrieve the Golden Fleece. Um and it's turn-based, which, first off, uh, I think is great for travel-based games because, uh, you know, turn-based games that you can play with one hand is a whole genre uh, that are great for thing, times when you have, like, a bag in the other hand, right? Uh, and, you know, you, you don't want to have to be really ju- – you can put the phone right into your pocket uh, and then pull it out and take the next turn, you know, as soon as you've finished talking to the gate agent, Um, Magma Fortress is a roguelike, um, so, you know, it's got permadeath, uh, every level is very small, little hex-based, um, movement, little, the whole level is a little hexagon, um, and they just, there's a a pretty small number of different enemy types, there's little goblins, uh, there are, uh, satyrs that throw bombs at you, there are, uh, demon wizards, um, and I- I think that's it. I think that's the enemies. And um, I, may, I might be forgetting one. Oh, yeah. There's like a dude with a sword. Anyway. Um, so there's also one thing in every level is a uh, little shrine. And so you get to the shrine. You you kill the enemies. You get to the shrine. You get a power up. And then you go to the staircase and go to the next level. It's extremely simple roguelike mechanics. Uh, but the m- actual play is pretty tough and considered um there's lots of ranged enemies you don't have any ranged attacks except one which is a very short range spear throw and if you throw your spear you have to go and pick the spear up before you can damage another enemy um so it's a game where you really have to plan out your movement and uh play kind of slowly and carefully and methodically um and you know be very careful with your leveling up and every time you you know, every every power up uh, is is meaningful. You have to choose in every level. Do I want to heal the uh, the damage I've taken so far, or do I want to take a power up? Uh, and the power up could be, um, you know, one more point of health, uh, or the power up could be uh, any number of different uh, bonuses to some of your abilities. And you have some for for a game as simple as it is. You have some pretty interesting abilities. You have a shield bash. Uh, that can be powered up in a number of ways. You have the spear throw, uh, you ha- and you have a lunge jump. Uh, and the lunge jump is where things get really interesting because you can jump uh, you know, across um, areas you couldn't get to before. And you, uh, the, the attacks that you do um, are, it's all very, very positional. Uh, it kind of reminds me of like a tactics game. Um, I've beaten the game... I don't even know how many times, uh, a pretty good number of times, but the odds are on any given plane flight, I probably won't beat it. I'll just sort of die a bunch. Um, th- this is a game that's, I still recommend it. It's super easy to to get. It's on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon. Uh, and back in 2015, it had its most recent update where they added a challenge mode. And the challenge mode is really neat because they give you just sort of a, a special assortment of the upgrades and you... Uh, see how far you can get. That's actually been the main way I've been playing it lately. Um, I have never given this game. I've never not had this game installed on my phone. Um, 
I continue to play it very constantly, uh, but mostly uh, when I'm traveling. So definitely my my preferred travel game. I've played a fair amount of that too, although I've never beaten it. And uh, I definitely recommend it if you like the roguelike type of game. It's It looks very simple. If you look it up and look at the graphics, you're not going to be like stunned by them. But it's a really solid game mechanically. So yeah, if you got an iPhone, check it out. I think it's pretty cheap too. Well, for something completely different, but I got back into Pokemon Go because I was on my honeymoon and I knew I could catch certain animals only in Europe. So ah. now I have a Mr. <laughs> Mime because I was in France. Um, I- I'm still playing it a little bit. because It's such it's a good ex- game for travel because you can, you, I mean, if there's some unique geographical elements and it's just a cool way to explore a city. You might I mean, turn down a corner that you'd never would have would have gone down just because there happens to be a, a, a squirtle there or something. I absolutely prefer it when someone else is paying for my international data plan. Mm. Uh, I, I, when I was on a Wi-Fi tether, I definitely just opened it in the hotel room, caught things around me. You know, when I was on a Wi-Fi port, but uh, work trips, man, uh, that thing is on. You know, it's attached, of course, because it drains your battery insanely. And on most trips, I would be taking pictures, but on work trips, you're kind of usually in ugly cities or you're in ugly areas of a beautiful city. So it's just fine to, you know, plug it into an external battery and uh, get all those points for all that cab walking you're doing. Yeah, and you catch those European Pokemon, which are better than the American Pokemon. I've got, you laugh, but it was actually giving me quite a good joy when I evolved an Eevee, and it was like, you caught this Eevee in Trieste. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's lovely. It's a good reminder since it tells you where you caught things. It's it's really lovely if you play it elsewhere to kind of remind you of trips you took. That's awesome. When I travel now, there is one big difference just very recently, uh, and that is that I will always bring a portable console. Unlike Reagan, I never was the kind of guy who carried around... uh, a portable. I never had a Vita. I never had, you know, DSs. Well, I had the DS, but not the, you know, anything more recent than that. And uh, that's changed now with the Nintendo Switch, which I absolutely will not leave home for a, a long trip without. Uh, I I think the ability to bring a home console with you is a big change. And you just can't talk about travel games today without having a conversation about the switch the switch rules for traveling it would be in my bag tomorrow if i wasn't on two red eyes and i wasn't afraid that if i start playing odyssey i will not go to sleep but honestly it's incredible the first time i saw the switch was in um on a work trip in germany uh we were in the airport and someone who knew i was not going to buy one until after my wedding intentionally brought it out and showed it to me, which I think was really rubbing salt <laughs> in the wood. Um, but it was the only time I've seen someone use the little kickstand, but he put it on a little table in the airport oh. lounge and showed me Breath of the Wild. And um, that was basically what he did the entire plane ride home. And I was, I could see him sitting two rows in front of me. And I was so very jealous as I watched some terrible movies. I think this, I've seen it on trains in France. I've seen it on buses, on like in New Jersey, like everywhere I go. Someone is playing a switch. That's sort of my experience also. Like I, I, I really notice them. Maybe it's just sort of the Dunning Kruger effect where, you know, once you have one of these things, you see them everywhere. But um for me, you know, the kind of games I play when I'm at home with my switch and the kinds of games that I play on the road is a little bit different. Um when I'm out traveling. I really like games that just have you in that flow state that like, you know, where the time kind of just sort of passes. I don't really want to play a game that's like super narrative. I don't want to play a game that's like um, really going to rely on me having good reaction time because having my elbows penned in in an airline seat is really bad for my uh, for my gaming posture, I guess. Uh, So the, the games that I that I play the most uh, when traveling on the switch um, are things like Mario Kart, where you can just sort of go on a circuit tour and just sort of, you know, put the pedal to the metal and cruise. Uh, that's the best. Um, so uh, that kind of ties in well with my, my mobile gaming too. Like I really get that same flow state from the, uh, 
uh, from the roguelike I was talking about a minute ago. And then also got to say, got to just throw out one more wreck for threes. Uh, mm. Always play threes on planes. Always. I mean, I've, I've come to terms that there's a ceiling in threes that I'm never going to beat, but I'm a, a high mid level uh, <laughs> buried to somebody who is like extremely, extremely good at threes. And I think that it's my favorite waiting game. Um, but kind of it's a fill the space game. I think it's it's that classic one-hander, don't worry about it. You know, you're waiting in line. But it could be three minutes, could be ten, and you're fine. Um, but I, I tend to uh, agree with that flow state, needing something a little more meaty. Uh, meaty, but you also don't mind getting interrupted. Yeah. It's important. There's not too much narrative to track. Totally. Threes, like Alto, is one of those games where it's like, that's my um, waiting in line to get the rental car game. Um, on a plane the switch is a really, really good solution because it's like, it's easily the largest screen on a portable that I've ever had. And it's, it's, so that makes it kind of immersive for a portable game system. Um, I never really use the tabletop mode. I don't think that's actually all that good of a, like, I I understand why they made that a feature, but I, I think that's sort of just sort of like a, well, we have this feature, too, based on the fact that we have the... They made the SD card slot cover, and they were just like, look, it kind of stands up if you do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I don't really think that the uh, the stand-up mode is that great, although I have used it for a couple of party games where you don't really need to focus in on the screen. Things like Jackbox games or games like... Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, Shane, you and I played it a little while back. It was like a... Um, a, a, a game about like making up jokes about movie snippets. What was that yeah. game called? Uh, I'm um, trying to remember. Also, it's basically a a, a knockoff of the Jackbox games. Yeah, fun. basically those sorts of games. Uh, something like a Switch in tabletop mode makes perfect sense because you don't need an immersive screen that multiple people can look at. Um, so, and just a little Joy-Con is perfect for the for the other stuff. But um, I don't really love the tabletop mode. But, oh, I really like playing the Switch in handheld mode on trips. It's super good for sitting on a plane for two to three hours. Yeah, it's funny that the Nintendo DS, as much as I like it, my XL feels like a brick now mm. um, compared to the Switch. And it for something that's larger, it just feels so much lighter. It, it seems like the aspect ratio of the device fits better into my laptop bag. Uh, it's, it's a no-brainer for me on trips. However, I also didn't bring it on the honeymoon because it – doesn't really help me be social. Whereas the mm. iPad, it's bigger, is a great place to play games with the partner. That's a good I point. played, um, we got so exhausted after, you know, a full day at a festival in Valencia that the next morning we literally couldn't move and we could just lay in bed while we waited for uh, the rest of the world to open for breakfast. And we played uh, the room three together. And, you know, it's just the right size to share, but, the Switch feels kind of like a, a personal gaming device mm-hmm. more than a social still. Like, I know it's party, but it feels like a party made for TV. So I'm still not sold on it as a travel party device. Um, whereas the iPad does feel a little more made for sharing. And, you know, sometimes you do want to play a game, but you want to play a game with someone else on your trip. And that is what I think, that's when I reached the iPad. That's why it was a good honeymoon choice. Mm. I, again, if I had played the, we would have just been fighting over who gets the switch. Most of the trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I like it's, it's fine. It, it was, you know, plus we only had one uh, carry on a piece for the whole trip for 35 days. So switch did not make the cut. The DSLR did, you know, this is probably not super relevant for everybody that listens to this show, but like I have a lot of handheld video game systems. I have, I kind of collect them and uh, all of our listeners have a pile of old cartridge based handhelds, right? Totally, totally. And um, I have to say that like the switch is not my favorite in terms in a, in a few, a few areas. I think the switch is a great machine. I love the fact that it is both a home game system and a travel game system, but it is only barely a travel game system in that it is very large. It feels a little bit, and I'm sure that there you could, I mean, I could probably alleviate this with a slightly slimmer case and some other, you know, tweaks to how I carry it, but it feels like it's a lot. It's a big thing. It feels a little bit like carrying a skateboard in my backpack. And, um, 
so an experience you're well familiar with, I'm sure. <laughs> I, not quite that cool. Reagan is a skater boy, everybody. <laughs> not at all. But See you it, later, boy. But it is what I would imagine would be sort of like, it's just a very big thing. It's a big, fairly thick, flat thing. If you put it in a case, most of the Switch cases, the Switch That's what I she have, said. Oh, God. is It's a big, thick thing. And so um, I actually still do carry my the, – all of the other handhelds that Nintendo has ever put out and most of the others just sort of generally in the world are a lot smaller than the Switch. And so – I Are you sure that DS, 3DS XL doesn't weigh more than the Switch? Because it feels like it does. I know what you mean, but I, I absolutely agree. But my 3DS, I have, a, I have the 3DS, the quote-unquote new 3DS, but is not the XL – and that's my actual favorite for just in terms of carrying around. If I were going to like go out and walk around someplace with something, I am not going to carry the Switch. But I can put the – there's a big difference between portable and pocketable. Um, the 3DS, the non-XL 3DS, is something that you can put into a jacket pocket or even the back pocket of your pants if you don't plan on sitting down. And uh, I do that a lot. And there are games when on you want to be ready for games, but don't want to sit down. Exactly. <laughs> it's a, it, it's a, so I, and I still really value that. And even so that the game system that I actually bring with me on trips almost every time is the, uh, and I wish there were more things like it, uh, is the Game Boy Micro. Uh, I don't know if, if you're listening, if the listeners aren't familiar with the Game Boy Micro, just at the same time that the DS was coming out, when Nintendo was hedging their bets about whether or not they were going to make the DS lineup their sort of next generation of video game platforms, at the time they were kind of saying the DS is going to be our you know third pillar and the Game Boy Advance series is continuing. We're going to keep making new Game Boy Advances and other Game Boys probably. And um, at the same time the DS came out, they came out with, a D- with the Game Boy Micro, which is a Game Boy Advance that was very Apple-like in its design at the time. And is tiny. Uh, this was when the uh, the iPod Nano was out, and the Game Boy Micro is about the size of the iPod Nano. It is about maybe three inches long and an inch tall, and it's the most pocketable video game system you have ever seen. Like it's it's hardly any bigger than the cartridges that go into it, and Game Boy Advance cartridges are small. And I love that thing to death. It has amazing battery life. You can fit it into the pants, uh, into your pants pocket, even if you're wearing extremely skinny jeans. And like, I, I can bring that with me in places that I would never bring any other video game console. There's just nothing else like it. And so I, I still bring that thing with me. Even if I'm bringing my Switch, I'll throw my Game Boy Micro into my into my backpack just in case I might want to carry something around at a place where there's just no possibility of bringing a switch or even something like a DS or a, or a Vita. Um, so there's a lot of good handheld game consoles out there other than the switch. And there are things about the switch that bug me that the size is a problem. It's not a pocketable system. The, it doesn't support Bluetooth headphones, which is infuriating because I pretty much switched over entirely to Bluetooth headphones. The Vita supports Bluetooth headphones. The switch does not. Um, and it, it just, I just worry about damaging it in ways that I don't about most of my other video game systems, things like the DS line, they feel like a toy where you can throw it in a bag. I don't even use a case on, on some of my DS models and I just throw them in a bag and it's fine. It's, it just feels very protected. It's got the clamshell design. Whereas like the switch, I feel like I have to protect it and baby it a little bit. It's big, it's expensive. It's got a big ass screen. Uh, it has those weird joints between the Joy-Cons and the body that where it feels like if you put pressure on it in the wrong way, you're going to f*** all of your shit up. Um, excuse me, let me say that again. You're going to mess everything up. So I don't know. Like, I I really hope that pocketable video game systems aren't completely dead and that the Switch isn't the last word in portable video games for all time because it's just not quite everything to all people in the way that I think some people think it is. Well, I think for me, because I am a woman and my clothes don't have pockets, even the best dresses in the world that have pockets are they're flimsy ones. They can't support the weight of any console, Mm. you know, barely even a phone. So I've mostly played on iPad mini or the full size iPad because I like reading comics on Mm. it. So to me, the switch is just fine for size, like because it's it's about the same size as the iPad. And I, I tend to use the iPad as a backup computer. Um, on the trip, bringing an external keyboard uh, mm. so that I don't, I can write, you know, if there's a problem with, uh, you know, the pipes at home, I don't have to try to write a really hard email over 
the little iPhone keyboard. So to me, the switch size is fine. I do agree with you on the Bluetooth headphones. But to answer the question about weight, the 3DS XL is indeed heavier than the Nintendo what? Switch. Really? Yep. Wow, yep. that's crazy. It definitely is heavier because again, even just playing at home, like I feel the weight. Like to me, the Switch feels like a, a godsend. It's just so, it feels so light because I've been playing with 3DS XL for so long. One ounce, one ounce lighter. <laughs> wow, that's really crazy. <laughs> but, it, but it's it's not weighted properly too. It, it's since it's it's so concentrated and dense, it is smaller and mm-hmm. heavier. It is like a little brick. Reagan, you you went the extra mile and then convinced me to do the same of getting a. To make it actually larger, the 3DS, uh, not the 3DS, the, uh, sorry, the Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. So you got that uh, big mega grip. Yeah, the Switch, th- I mean, this is another thing that I, I actually like complain this about about the Switch a little bit that I, I don't love about it. Oh, yeah, let's let's complain about the Switch. It's And I love the Switch, don't get me wrong. But, like, I play the Switch a lot. And unlike any, like, I, I uh, it, it's it's heavy. You know, it weighs a lot. And it's relatively thin, and so it doesn't give you a lot to grip onto. So after long gaming sessions, I'd feel like I was putting a lot of, like, energy into, like, gripping the sides of the Switch. And it just it just was never really that comfortable for me to play for more than an hour or so in handheld mode. Um, but I found myself playing it in handheld mode around the house a lot because I would be, you know, watching TV and playing the Switch at the same time. Or my wife would be watching TV and I was playing the Switch, something like that. And so I, I got a grip for it and I wholeheartedly recommend it. Um, I'm going to, I don't have the, the model in front of me. Um, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to the particular one that I got, but if you like me play the switch in handheld mode around the house, you're never going to want to put it in this grip and actually carry it around because it adds a lot of mass. Um, but if you, uh, if you play it in handheld mode around the house, uh, a grip that has sort of like console controller style lobes on the sides, um, made the switch in handheld mode, way more comfortable for me to use for, for more than, you know, an hour or something. I'm no longer like wearing out my index and ring fingers trying to hold the weight. Put lobes on your switch. But you don't travel with it. No, no, that's true. No, this <laughs> so is a travel episode. You're right. Off topic. <laughs> it is off topic. Um, yeah. So as I mentioned before, I love the switch on trips, but sometimes uh, even as much as I use the switch to escape, I need something that uh, I can turn my mind off and, you know, fill time with other people. I think a lot of train station waiting where you don't know when you're going to be boarding. Uh, Justin and I did a ton of crosswords puzzles on the Pizzazz app, but we also did some iPad game ports. Um, Nate and I did an entire episode on that episode 128. So if you're a board game person and you are going to miss it on a long trip, just download a couple, you know, Lord of Waterdeep, Pandemic, excellent, excellent ports, and you can play them, you know, turn by turn as long as you're in an airport. Mr. Jack Pocket also is a tiny physical game that is about the size of a deck of cards. I mean, honestly, a deck of cards. Man, we talked about the Switch for a while, and here I am wrapping up the video game podcast, endorsing a deck of cards. But <laughs> it's fine; it'll get you through the airport. Totally. I I, I don't want to side note too much there, but like, it, if you like board game ports on the iPad, uh, my very favorite is Small World. They did a fantastic port of Small World to the iPad. It's a beautiful. And if you want to fight with someone on a trip, Small World is the perfect board game for you it's one of the only ones i can get my wife to play with me on a plane and we've we've played a lot of games of small world on a plane and and there has been lots of like uh lots of accusations spoken under our breath so that the uh so that our our seat neighbors don't realize that we're arguing about orcs or whatever you're going to be on an instagram story is that really weird couple (laughs) someday (laughs) yep definitely so i mean i've played games to entertain relatives i've done a lot of games just to pass time. Uh, we had actually a listener write in to endorse Plants vs. Zombies. Uh, he mentioned that his brother and him played hours of it uh, while on a trip to California for his grandpa's memorial, and it was a really great bonding experience that helped him deal with grief. That's from uh, Chris Tekaton on Twitter. And honestly, I wish I had been able to play games with my family on trips. When I've done party games with them, board games is kind of our bonding experience too. Uh, whether it's an iPhone app game like Heads Up or it's a physical board game at their house. like I think games, when you're traveling, it's a really nice way to remember the experience. Actually, two other uh, listeners uh, gave us their uh, 
travel gaming stories. And one of them, so two of the three mentioned Plants vs. Zombies. Jonathan Mitchell uh, wrote in to say, One of my favorite vacation memories is sitting on the beach in Aruba under an umbrella, drinking a pina colada, playing Plants vs. Zombies 2 on my phone. I love being able to play video games outside. I mean... Sounds really nice. (laughs) Yeah, it really, really does. He also said, after Stardew Valley came out, I brought a MacBook Air with boot camp and an Xbox 360 controller to a vacation in Budapest, just so I could play on the plane while hanging and while hanging out in the Airbnb. I got deep into that game for a while. I mean, uh, also very relatable, but now you can leave the Xbox 360 controller at home since it's on the Switch. Thank God that Justin and I will not be playing Stardew Valley on this trip. I think... We've literally been on walks together talking about our crops and our barn strategies, so we can use a break. Yeah, we also got a message from Jeremiah, a.k.a. Super Pouring on Twitter, who said, I think my most played game was Pokemon Blue on the OG Brick Game Boy. Me and my brother did a lot of traveling with our aunt and uncle. So even after beating the game, I started doing miscellaneous things like a level 100 Magikarp and level 100 Metapod, because why not? And I mean... The Game Boy was the road trip machine, and I had Pokemon Blue as well. I don't think I ever hit level 100 with any of my Pokemon, though. I recently found my Pokemon Blue cart, which had been sitting in a bin of other stuff uh, for, I mean, at least over a decade. And I was very excited to see if any of my Pokemon had survived, but unfortunately, corrosion got them, and none of them them were alive to tell the tale. So I don't know whether I ever had a level 100 Magikarp. But uh, my cartridge was in that same uh, bin and it survived and I uh, booted it up my Pokemon Red and I was shocked to see that I never completed Pokemon Red. Really? Yeah, I think I I think I completed the 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 main story of Pokemon Blue, but I never like upgraded my Pokemon that far. Like I I, I was one of those kids that I thought it was like not cool. Like I, I was I was. I had a I had a Pikachu, I had a Squirtle, I had a Bulbasaur, and I liked them the way they were. I didn't like them to evolve because I thought that the old, the larger evolutions of them looked ugly. I liked the cute ones. And so I think that was a, a handicap I kind of placed on myself was I preferred most of my Pokemon not to evolve. And when they would start evolving, you had to like hit a button real fast in order to get them to not do it. And uh, every time that, that I would sometimes miss that, I would be really mad. My favorite off-topic little tech support piece from work was when a coworker came up and was like, I know you play Pokemon Go, right? Yeah. I'm the girl in the office who plays games. She goes, okay, great. I had a Ponyta and it was really pretty and then I upgraded it and now it's ugly. Can you help me get back my Ponyta? And I was like, no, I can't. You can't go back once they evolve. They've moved on. And she just was like, oh, and she walked away. Life finds a way. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. You can never go back to your pretty Ponita. You just got to catch another one. On that sad note, <laughs> what's making us happy? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have a segment we like to call What's Making Us Happy This Week, in which we discuss, you might be surprised to note, what's making us happy this week. So, Laura, what's making you happy this week? Well, I recently re-upped my Chicago library card since it was about to expire, and then I started figuring out what else I could do with it, and... I forgot you can borrow ebooks from the library. I promptly put on hold a billion books. They started rolling in like crazy. And it is one, saving me a ton of money. And two, um, I'm able to pick up on my favorite Napoleonic Wars with Dragon series. It's the, the Timurere series uh, by Naomi Novik. Uh, her book, um, Spinning Silver, is coming out. She, she's been recently writing these really wonderful adult retellings of fairy tales. And I'm on the waiting list for her new book. It's going to come out soon. So now I'm kind of backfilling by there's like nine books in this dragon series and I've read the first four. So it's been really fun. Uh, It's one of those series where every book they go to another continent, like he and his dragon trying to find Napoleon this time in China, this time in (laughs) South Africa. So uh, I'm just really loving um, specifically that series, but also like cheap mystery books cheap romance books, the things that I feel bad buying. Like, I'm never going to pay money for a Miss Marple book, but God, the library has 60 of them or however many exist around the world, and I can just run through Agatha Christie books. You know, even I might have read it already, 
I don't know until I get into two chapters in and I guess the murderer and I think I'm smart. That's a risk I can take with an ebook that I borrowed from a library because I can just return it and get another one. So if you guys haven't been using your library to a fullest, you don't actually even need to leave your apartment. You can get it on a Kindle. You can get it sent to your computer. Um, it's been really wonderful to uh, some of the books that I, I you know I buy a ton of books and I they sit and waste my time. But if I'm in a mood right now to reread something, I just kind of log in and see if the library has it in ebook and I read it two minutes later. I'm reading it. I need to give that it's another wonderful. try. The last time that I tried to do that was this is actually even before I got a Kindle. I was working at the Apple store and I mean, nobody loves libraries and free books like the elderly, but they would buy like a incredibly ancient nook or something. And then mm-hmm. they would bring it into the store with their laptop and be like, how do I get library books on here? And I tried so hard to help them figure it out, but I could never figure it out. It was very complicated, at least it was at the time and in St. Louis where I was at the time. So hopefully it's been made a little easier. Is it? Is it pretty simple to do these days? It's really easy. I mean, most libraries go through, um, I, I try, I want to call it open books or something like that. Most of them use a third party service. Was it Overdrive? Because that was Overdrive, yes. Overdrive was the one is. that I kept trying to figure out. But like, it was almost always like, well, how do I get things from Overdrive onto this ancient device that no one's ever heard of? Now it's a question of you click on Overdrive, you just say like, send to my Kindle, and it takes you to Amazon, and then you say, borrow this library book. Oh, nice. And so it's really easy. Um, it's also easier if you are not tied into the Amazon ecosystem like me. You can just download the ebook, um, and there's it just will disappear from your um, your device after two weeks. It's really really simple. Um, you know they let you have six out at a time, which is absurd because um, you can again you can just return one and get another one right away. So that's awesome. I am reading just a, a whole bunch of trash, and then like one or two really great literary fiction books. Because I can have six out at once. Awesome. Perfect for a vacation, too. Uh, This week, what's making me happy is much less literary, but uh, I finished Hollow Knight on the Switch. So good. We may talk about that. We'll find it's too long for this show, but I'm dying to have a long conversation about Hollow Knight somewhere. So we may figure something out. But anyway, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. But uh, I was hurting for a platformer to play on the Switch because I hadn't, you know, because I'd beaten Hollow Knight. And uh, Flinthook was on sale. My initial impression of Flinthook was very bad. I played Flinthook as a preview at a PlayStation event. Um, oh, no, it was at Day of the Devs. And that was when I was in San Francisco. So it must have been at least a couple of years ago. Anyway, long time ago, I played a preview of Flinthook. I'm a big fan of the developer and particularly of their pixel art style. Um, Tribute Games does some of the best looking pixel art in the world, uh, but the game just seemed so completely not my thing because it is procedurally generated platforming levels. And I hate, well, I don't hate procedural generation, but generally that's a turnoff for me. Kind of a roguelite structure where you are going on runs and uh, through procedurally generated levels uh, to try and face a boss at the end and try to progress slowly through that. And that's generally a structure that doesn't work for me. Like, for example, um, Rogue Legacy, I just could not make work for me. I did not enjoy it. Not the, I mean, lots of people like the game. I did not. Um, so I was like, I don't think this is going to be for me, even though the art style looks great. Um, turns out it is absolutely my thing, uh, mainly just because the mobility in it is so fantastic. You know, give me a game with a grappling hook and I will play it. Grappling hooks are the bomb. And this game has a fantastic grappling hook. And the procedural generation is still pretty smartly done because while each ship layout, you're going through a series of ships, of spaceships, uh, each ship layout is procedurally generated. It's procedurally generated, but made up of rooms in a sort of a Zelda style, wherein, you know, each room is a single screen. Well, mostly a single screen. Uh, and they are, each one of those rooms is hand designed. So it's a series of kind of quick, uh, levels within a larger procedurally generated structure. Um, and that actually works pretty well. Um, if you've played games like Binding of Isaac, for example, it has that kind of vibe in terms of how it does procedural generation. It has like curated little rooms arranged procedurally. And all of the sprite art is great. Uh, the design is really, really good. 
The mobility is fantastic. Uh, I'm finding the upgrade system kind of fun. It's probably not something for this show uh, because it is something where you have to play through, you know, in run type fashion. Uh, but but it has some good progression. So if if you uh, held off on Flinthook, I only picked it up because it was on sale and I was jonesing for a platformer. But I'm glad that I did. Uh, it's actually way more fun than I was expecting. And it clearly got, I think it got better after the, I'm not exactly sure. It's been a, several years since I played that preview, but the preview, I had a hard time controlling it. When I picked it up on the Switch, it felt very natural. So something something changed, I think, and it got real good. So check out Flinthook if you can. And Shane, what is making you happy this week? Um, I would say that this week, uh, my my best moments my my greatest happiness came from uh discovery of a movie that i did not know was a sequel uh to a movie that i had already seen it was which is kind of a funny experience a while back i watched this movie called resolution that is a low budget horror movie um i watch a fair number of low budget horror movies but this was one that stuck with me it was a a guy and his friend uh in a cabin in the woods and they um, well, this, this friend has gone out to basically lock up his drug addicted friend, uh, to try to detox him in this cabin and they start receiving, um, hard drives and videotapes and things like that, uh, as if someone is watching them. And, um, so it's a really it's a really well made movie uh, and it definitely stuck with me. It's been years since I saw it. Um, and then just recently uh, out comes this new movie uh, called The Endless. And I started to hear a little bit of buzz about it because it's got really good scores on you know the tomato meter and whatnot. Uh, and it turns out not only is it the same uh, pair of directors, uh, these two guys, let's see, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Uh, who in this are also, in The Endless, are also the stars of the movie. Uh, But in a twisted way, it is a direct sequel to that previous film. Um, Not that you really even need to see one to watch the other, but for for someone like me who liked the first one, it's really neat. The setup of this one is just, to me, it just shows that if you have a really good idea you don't need a really big budget to do genres like science fiction or um, action or horror. Uh, well, definitely not horror, but uh, so in, in this movie, uh, the idea is there's these two brothers that are kind of um, down on their luck a little bit uh, in particular because they ran away from what the older brother describes as a UFO death cult. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so they're living in a, you know, in a shared apartment together um, and, you know, talking to a, a, a caseworker uh, at the start of the movie about their situation and, and the challenges of, you know, trying to make their way in this world uh, when both of them are definitely a little damaged. The older brother um, really kind of pulled his younger brother out uh, and the younger brother has almost nothing but fond memories of his time in the cult. Uh, because he was a lot younger, and the older brother remembers things very differently. Um, and then at some point, they receive a tape, uh, a VHS tape in the mail, uh, that is, now this is like 10 years later, uh, it's a video that has the people that they remember from the cult uh, basically saying goodbye, as if you know their uh, UFO death cult plans are being brought to fruition. And... Um, the weird thing about it is that the people look like they haven't aged in the 10 years that they've been gone. Um, so this kicks them off to, you know, the, the younger brother really wants to just sort of get some closure and together they go back to this compound uh, where the cult lives. And that's kind of the start of the action of the movie uh, to tell you anything more than that would be, I think a, a terrible spoiler, but what's wonderful about this movie is that it goes from sort of low to medium weirdness to extremely high weirdness, uh, in a really gradual, really great, uh, kind of Hmm. trickle slide, uh, where by the end, 
like the movie is just off the wall and it's got this uh, you know without spoiling anything it has a terrific premise uh and you know if you do if you do decide to sit down and watch this one you don't have to watch resolution first but if you do watch resolution first um you know it's a really really good experience in that case so um i i i can't recommend it enough uh, it turns out i had actually seen another movie by these two that i didn't you know, I, I, I'm not like following these directors up until this point, but I will be now. They made another movie called, um, uh, no, it's not Splice. What was it? There's another movie that they made that's like a weird, um, body horror romance movie where a guy on vacation meets this, uh, weird deathless creature woman and falls in love with her. Um, and that was a very interesting movie. I can't remember the name of it right now, but gosh, that one was a trip. Uh, not as good as these two, though. Uh, the Endless, super good. Five awesome. stars. Awesome. I can't wait to check that out. I uh, I also love a good schlocky horror movie and even ones that are not so schlocky. So definitely going to check that out. Sounds awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. I know this is a bit of a departure from our usual format, so thanks for bearing with us. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, let us know. If you didn't, also let us know, and let us know if there's a short video game that you think we ought to be covering on this show. The best way to let us know that sort of thing is to go to www.theshortgame.net, where we've got a contact form, or you can find our show on Twitter, at underscore short game. You can also find me personally on Twitter. I'm Reagan Kelly, and you can find me at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Shane, where can people find you? I'm also over on the Twitter at 8BitShane. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. <laughs>